It's Christmas time here at Link Church and we are so excited to celebrate this season with you. I want to invite you to join us for one of our online broadcast services, either Christmas Eve the 24th of December at 5.30pm or Christmas Day 10.30am the 25th of December. Alternatively, subscribe to your preferred platform and you'll be notified the moment one of these services go live. Enjoy today's service. We're in a series called Breaking the Silence. Here's the big idea. Between the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, uh, the last words we hear through a prophet to Israel, uh, there is about 400 years of silence between that and when we see the story of Jesus come to be or read the book of Matthew in the New Testament. But the story of Jesus comes about 400 years after the last words of the prophet Malachi, plus minus, all right? And we've come to realize that there is this silence often between the spoken word of God or the prophetic word of God and the fulfillment of the promises of God. It's not just an Old Testament deal. It's not just new and old. It's not just the Christmas story. It's true for you and I. I've realized in my life there are many times where God gives me a thought or a word or a dream or a desire, and I, I know it's from Him. No one else could have come up with that. And so I hold on to it. And there's often this period, I feel, of silence between God's prophetic word in my life and the fulfillment of God's promise in my life. What do we do with the silence? Well, I believe Jesus breaks the silence. I believe Jesus is the solution to the silence. I believe silence is an invitation to seek Him in that space. But for all of us, there are seasons of silence, and so we've had some fun. I've hoped you, I hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't been able to catch the messages, you, you're welcome to jump online. Uh, Link Church has an awesome YouTube channel with everything that we do there, including midweek sessions, including leadership conversations, and so jump online, check it out, but the whole Breaking the Silence series is on there. Uh, today, I want to preach a message titled, Take Away the Stone. Take Away the Stone. It's from a pretty well-known Bible story. The man's name's Lazarus. You've probably seen the animated kind of sketch photos of Lazarus in, the, Lazarus in his like mummy gear, you know, like all bound up because Lazarus was a man that uh, fell sick and then died and then Jesus rose to life. It's a pretty powerful story. But, but if, you, if, you, if you don't get into his detail, sometimes you miss the beauty of what's really going on. And so I want, to, I want to speak around a story that perhaps you've heard before, but I want to give it new lenses today, if that's all right. And I want to do this with three big ideas in the story of Lazarus. It's found in John chapter 11, and I'm going to read from verse 1. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it's interesting, Bethany, the word Beth is house. And so when you hear Bethlehem, it's the house of bread. Lechem is bread. And so when you hear Bethany, it's the house of poor. And so it's interesting, out of a house of poverty, God brings great riches. And he always does that. God is good like that. I want you to see right in the beginning of the scripture, we're introduced to a simple concept that God brings great breakthrough where there is poverty, where there's poor, where there is a, where there is a downward or oppressed mindset. God wants to bring breakthrough. So if that's you this morning, I believe there's a message for you. The village of Mary and her sister Martha, Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume over the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, listen to this, the one you love is sick. That's clever prayer right there. I don't know about you, but I think that's, that's, just some, that's just some gold right there. Lord, the one we love is sick. No, no, no. Lord, the one you love, this burden is yours. You know, one of the things I love about the gospel is that Jesus carries the heavy load. That's, that's the power of this God that we serve. And they realize it. Mary and Martha realize it because they've spent time with Jesus. They realize this is the bearer of burdens. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, there is something going on in us. 
and there is a brother that's sick and he's close to us and it hurts and there's something that we're going through. But just before we go any further, this is the one you love, Lord. This is your burden. This is not, we can't carry the pain of human suffering. You're going to have to do it for us. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son, which is Jesus, may be glorified through it. I believe God will use anything we go through in our lives to make much of Him, to make much of the name of Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. This will be to His glory. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when He heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where He was two more days. This is a strange story, and if you miss it, you miss out on some of God's gold. And so here it is, three simple ideas through the story of Lazarus I believe will bless us today. The first one is this, if you're taking down notes, delay is not denial. Now that's pretty powerful if you've lived in any season of silence. Delay is not denial. Because you and I are impatient creatures. Maybe it's just me, but um, we like things to happen in our time frame. I once read a quote, just because it didn't happen in your time doesn't mean it's not part of his plan. We like things to happen in our time frame. I wish I, wish I had a, a time lapse of what's going down at our toll gates as we sit here. Because I believe there are 1,400 cars going through the Marion Hill toll plaza every, what was it, minute? Hour? Couldn't have been a minute. Hour? And so, and so we just say 5,000, who cares? But there's a whole lot. But you know what I love about toll gates when they get congested is the impatient people. I've been there. Like, so, you know, and you're driving into the toll gate. Come on, like, this is going to do something to you. And the wives are hitting their husbands going, this is you, babe. But as you're coming into the toll gates, what happens? There's like three lines, and they, they, they're close, but like there's 20 cars in each. So it's difficult to know, like, which one's going to go quicker. And as you're coming and you're looking in your rearview mirror, you're looking at the left line, right line, you're getting a bit of extra speed so the guy behind you doesn't get in. And then you make the final call, right? And you, and you add yourself to one of, one of these deathly lines. Only to find out that the guy in the front of your line left his card at home and he got no cash. The door's open, the wallet's under the car, it's taking time. And the other line's going, so what do you do? You give yourself a little bit of space, you wait for the cars to move a bit, and as you see your gap, you shoot across, and then what happens? Your line starts to move, isn't that the truth? We're impatient creatures. If you just stick to your line, it's like five extra minutes. Your life's going to be okay. But we're impatient creatures. Now listen, this is not a traffic jam at a toll gate story. This is someone's life that is in jeopardy. This is Lazarus. This is the one Jesus loves and that they love. Their brother, Lazarus, is sick. This is a serious situation. There's pain involved. It's not just I want to get to the North Coast Beach. It's this is my life. This is my family. This is, this is precious to us. And, and yet there is something in the story I believe God wants to teach us in that delay is not denial. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right, we got some gold here. There is something in the process of patience that delays or sets up a person's heart of repentance, which is to change their mind, to come to the understanding that God loves them regardless of what they give back to Him. Heaven always makes the first move. Repentance is choosing to believe that Jesus made the first move toward us. Repentance is not you making a first move to Him. 
Repentance is coming to understand that he made his first move toward you. And so God says, I use processes like these. I use stories like these. I use delays. I use silence to bring people to a place of understanding that I'm for them, not against them. I read a quote once that impossibility, not difficulty, impossibility is the seed of miracles. Difficulty is not the seed of miracles. Difficulty is part of our strength process. Impossibility is the seed of miracles because when you put seeds of impossibility in the ground, only God's grace can make them grow. And Lazarus' story is now becoming one of impossibility. I wanna show you how God uses this story not just for his glory, but for human beings, you and I, to come to an understanding of his love and grace toward us. In verse 14, he tells them plainly, he said, I'm staying two more days. You see, he's he's deliberately delaying the outcome. Lord, the one you love is sick. All right, I think what we'll do is we'll stay here two more days. No, 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 you don't understand. My business won't make two more days. You don't understand, God, this relationship won't survive another night. You don't understand, God, if, if, if you don't put 100,000 rand in my bank account today, I can't, pay. God, you don't understand. We can't wait two more days. And Jesus says, I need you to come to the end of myself. I love what Stephen Furtick says. If you're down to nothing, you can be sure God is up to something. I need you to come to the end of yourself before you start to encounter the beginning of me. I've realized the most powerful and significant times in my life is when I've got nothing left. And you can fill in the blank. It could be relationally, God, I'm not sure what to do next. It could be financially, God, I've, I've stewarded as good as I can, but I, I'm all out. Maybe it's in faith. God, honestly, I come to church. I'm dragging myself through these doors. I've lost, I've lost faith. I, I, I got nothing left. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And God is wanting to teach these people that the seed of the miracle is impossibility, not difficulty. Let's stay two more days. What? I remember when we were at the Anglican church. um, We came out of an Anglican church story before we started Link 10 years ago. And, uh, and we were serving in worship, and we were doing youth events, and it was quite exciting. There were young adults coming to our church, and people's lives being changed, and Jesus was really up to something. But we felt this stirring in our hearts to plant a church that unchurched people liked to attend. It, we, we felt typically the traditional sort of space in church, it had its place, and we valued it, but we felt God was calling us to reach people that didn't like church. And so I remember sharing the dream with some of the guys, and Mark Slev was there in those days, and we were young, and we, were naive, we just had this dream. We just had this prophetic word, and there was this season of silence before the fulfillment of the promise came. But I remember in this season of silence, I remember every time I had an opportunity to speak to leadership, I was like, this is what we're dreaming of. This is where we We met with the bishop of KZN back then. I was 25. I thought I was a boss, honestly. He told me, you're crazy. You stay right here, sir. And so we stayed. And, and, we, and we saw out this season. Now, if I'm honest, my heart knew God wanted us to do this thing. I was ready. I was expectant. I was good to go. I was like, God, just, just, just tie me loose. And, and, then, and then a man named Rob Joblin came. Probably three years after the dream was ignited in our heart. Three years. We should stay two more days. And I remember the man, Rob Jobling, we, we, the man Rob Jobling is like the icon, the, the, the Rob Jobling. He's part of our church community now. But I remember going for a lunch with him. 
And sitting with him at the lunch table, we were all fasting because we were hoping for God to speak to us. And so we didn't eat, he did. He was like, everyone all right? Yeah, we're like, yeah, kind of. We're just a little bit nervous about this dream. And so we shared our dream with Rob Jobling. And in that moment, he broke the silence. He was part of God's process in our life. And he said, I think this is a God dream. Let's send you out. But it was three years later. And you know, we had phone calls after we planted the church from other people in similar situations saying, we love how you guys just went out and did your thing. We're gonna do the same. We said, no, that's not how it worked. For us, we stayed at the course. We honored leadership. We waited for God's word to come. Listen, I'm not always patient, but that time I was, it's the greatest gift that God ever gave Link Church was a season of honor before we planted the house God was calling us to. Delay is not denial. What you do in those seasons of silence counts. I love how Mary and Martha, as honest as they were, never lost the heart of worship. Never lost perspective, never lost sight of who Jesus was and what he was able to do. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Maybe you've got a promise of a future. Maybe it's of children. Maybe it's of marriage. Maybe it's of business. I want to say to you, delay is not denial. There is something in the process that if you allow yourself to to be shown that God will show himself and his glory to you in this process. Maybe you've had some things turn for the worse in your life. Or maybe God is wanting to show you himself in the hardest times. The second thing I see about the story of Lazarus, and I love Lazarus' story. I was preparing this message before I called the takeaway the stone. I felt like just calling it pure hope. Because when I read this story, it's just pure hope. From their perspective, it's hopeless. But Jesus, from the start, it's just hope. He knows how this ends. In fact, right in the beginning, he says, this will not end in death, but you're gonna have to be patient. It's pure hope. So the second thing I've learned about Lazarus' story, and if you're from Joburg, this is gonna help you. All the Belito people gave a kind of unsure murmur. The reason I say that is because Joburg people push the economy forward, we just enjoy its fruit. (laughs) Just wanted to say we're grateful for you, Joburg. All right, so here we go. The second thing I believe about the story of Lazarus is that disappointments don't have to define you. Disappointments don't have to define you. It's kind of hard to imagine the questions must have been running through the minds of the disciples and Mary and Martha when in the moment that they say, our brother needs you, he says, well, let's stick around a bit longer right here. We're gonna leave him Can you imagine the thought process? I I mean, I would say they were disappointed. Jesus, the one you love is is sick. All right, let's leave him to be. I want to be with you. Ah, Jesus, I'm I'm disappointed with that answer. That's not what I expect from someone who seems to love. That's not what I expect from a God that gives others breakthroughs. That's not what I expect from a God who is writing great stories over all my friends' lives. God, what about me? What about the Lazarus in my life? What about the thing I need you for the most? Your disappointments don't have to define you. It's kind of like this question that's asked in that moment, why didn't God do something then? Like, like God, you had a time frame. Why, why did you let it go? Why did you let me lose it? Why did you let that fold? Why, why, why? It's, it's genuine. Friends, I want to encourage you. The, the disappointment is just being honest. It's not, that you're, it's not that you're doing something wrong. I think it's honest to ask the question, God, why didn't you show up? 
It's honest. I can only imagine. Uh, one, one commentator of this piece of scripture said, I, I figure at the center of the story of Lazarus, the, the question that's kind of being asked is the same question God asked Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Mortal, can these bones live? It's like in the midst of disappointment, the question that's being asked beyond what we can see of God toward us is a, it's a rhetorical question. Mortal, Dylan, can this relationship survive? Can these finances turn? Can this breakthrough take place? Can these bones live? One commentator, I love this, he said, that's the valley, or that question is the valley that cuts through the center of our lives. You see, disappointment is real and it's honest, but the question that lies beneath disappointment is, can these bones, can this disappointment, can it come alive? I think our lives are filled with unanswered questions. My experience is that unanswered questions in life leave us disappointed. Is that honest enough? Unanswered questions, the thing that we ask, God, you didn't, but... Unmet expectations leave us disappointed, but your disappointment doesn't have to define you. They were disappointed. Listen to this, verse 21. Jesus now eventually makes the move. It's like, all right, Lazarus is dead now. Let's go. What's the point of waking up on Monday? It's too late. What's the point of renewing my South African passport, it's done. It's a point. In my experience, those things leave us disappointed. Listen to what Mary says to him. In fact, Mary and Martha both have a go. Verse 21, she says, Lord, if, you've been, if you had been here, if you had made it, my brother would not have died. They say this separately. In fact, it gets to a point where the crowd says to Jesus, could not he, the third person, who opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying. I think sometimes in our life, people look at us and go, could not the God you serve have fixed that one for you? Could not that little push button that you have in the back corner, could it not have fixed that situation? Why didn't he come through for you? You see, disappointment is very real. It's very honest. But how we deal with it is everything. And instead of using it to criticize Mary and Martha, you don't have enough faith, didn't you understand? He, 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 he sympathizes, he empathizes with them. The Bible says he weeps for them. There, there's something God has in this moment that he connects with our humanity. This is a story of Christmas. God put flesh on, came and walked among us in our disappointments. And instead of using it as an opportunity to tell them what they lacked, he uses it as an opening and an entry point to their lives. Someone once said, your disappointment is disguised or your, your door is disguised as disappointment. There is a door of opportunity in those disappointments I believe God wants to use for us. And in this Lazarus story, that's kind of what's happening. Listen to this excerpt from a book I'm reading. Listen to what it says. To attempt to insulate ourselves from disappointment and demand once and for all the kind of answers to life's questions is to close ourselves to the vulnerabilities that make real life possible. Love, intimacy, and relationships with God and one another. It limits what we're willing to risk, give, giving or receiving. He goes on to say, it leaves the stone in place over Lazarus's tomb and refuses to consider God's question to Ezekiel. While we might want to escape our disappointment, life wants to use them. Life will not waste our disappointments and Jesus always stands in the middle of life. 
Disappointment calls into question our assumptions about life, ourselves, each other, and God. The great, the great question before us and before Mary and Martha is whether we experience our disappointment as an opportunity for seeing and engaging our lives and our world in new, different, and life-giving ways. That is some perspective. Or whether we experience it only as a wound that makes us retreat from further potential participation. Oh, Jesus, I pray you'll turn disappointments in this room today into doors of destiny tomorrow. God, there is pain enough in this room for us to spend hours and hours and hours of honest disappointment conversations. It's not wrong. It's not unreal. It's all honest. Everything's there. But your disappointment, friends, I declare in Jesus' name could become a door of destiny for you tomorrow. Because Jesus always uses disappointment as a doorway of destiny into our life to give us permission to risk trusting him again, to give us permission to risk loving again, to give us permission to risk seeing life through a new lens again. Disappointment doesn't have to define you. Every disappointment, one writer said, held before Jesus as it has been held before us was a choice between engaging and retreating from the world and our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you leaned in. You see, he leaned into the disappointments he faced so that we could make it through the ones we face. He went ahead of us, but he calls us to walk alongside. Disappointment doesn't have to define you. The third thing I want to share about, and worship team, you can come and join me. Delay is not denial. Just because it's not in our time doesn't mean it's not part of his plan. Disappointment doesn't have to define you. I tell you what, I have some friends that have been through things in life. I almost, I almost can't comprehend what they must ask, the questions they must ask sometimes when they're all alone. But what I love about their spirits is that they keep standing up, they keep rising up, they keep choosing to trust that that is a doorway of new, greater learnings, character being defined, opportunities still before us. Even though there's pain, there is still this idea of God's potential in our lives. And the third thing I wanna share about the Lazarus story as it refers to breaking the silence is that dry bones can live again. Dry bones can live again. Listen to this in the story of Lazarus. It says, Jesus, it's, I love it how the start of the, the, the scripture in my Bible, it actually says the death of Lazarus, which is kind of ironic because Lazarus, that's not what the story was about. Sometimes the Bible gives the wrong header to the, to the scripture. It's like whoever added that in missed the moment. Lazarus never died. Well, he kind of did, but we knew how it ended. I wish they'd put the good news title in there, you know? Sometimes the title of your life is only half of it. Sometimes the season you're in is just half of the story God is writing. And at the back end of the message, it says this, dry bones can live again. In verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus. Now, as is customary in that, in that world, Lazarus would have died. He would have been dead for three days, which would have then proven that he was dead. All right? And at that point, they would have wrapped him up in traditional linen and cloth, and they would have put him in the tomb. He, he, was, he was a done deal. The story was over. And this is when Jesus arrives. And he says, let's go across to the tomb. And so he was moved by the moment. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I've read that somewhere before. I don't know if it was maybe Easter Sunday. I read that before. There was a cave with a stone across the front of it. There was a life full of disappointment with this stone 
mate, I can't move, Jesus. It's like you've sealed me into this cave. Well, he hadn't, life has. And maybe, maybe as I close this story today, God wants to come and roll away the stone from the cave of disappointment and, and denial and frustration and pain and hurt. That is, it feels like it's been blocked up, it's been held in. And then Jesus says, listen to these words. He walks up, he sees it, he says, take away the stone. The New King James Version says, roll it away. Roll it away. It doesn't belong there. Roll it away. It's the same language we see in the resurrection. Roll away the stone. Let's see what's inside. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, it's now gone from Lazarus to the dead man. It's amazing how when we lose hope, we change the name of things we once dreamt of. We just stop calling them possibilities. We're just like, nah, it's done. The dream, the, man, I got dreams, church, Link Church, I got dreams. I got dreams of churches across this province, working with people across this nation, partnering with communities across the world that will shift the nations for the name of Jesus. I got dreams. I wake up some days, the dream doesn't look like there's a stone over the front of it. Are we going to make it? Is anyone going to stick around? Do they think that it's going to be okay? Or are we just too, what, what's the story, God? And there's dreams, there's dreams, there's dreams. And Martha says, the sister of the dead man, maybe you need to change the language of the thing you think is lost now to actually believing that it's still there. By this time, there's a bad odor, she said, for he's been there for four days, fair enough. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you, Martha, if you believe, did I not tell you, Martha, if you, remember Martha was the one when there was Mary and Martha, cleaning, she was cleaning dishes, working, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, cleaning, listening, because the word gives us the faith we need to believe. Mary had a belief system in her that knew it would come to be. Martha was still struggling because she was trying to prove it in her own strength. She said, Martha, if you stopped working so hard for the thing I promised to give you, then I told you, you would see the glory of God. Verse 41, and so they took away the stone or they rolled away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here. Jesus always operates for the benefit of many. For the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What's your Lazarus? What's that thing that's died? What's that thing that feels like it's gone? Because I believe that's the beauty of a Sunday is this ongoing reality of Jesus rolling away the stone. Nothing you do, nothing you can, nothing will, but Jesus says, take it away. And supernatural strength rolls away the stone. He says, Lazarus, business, dream, partnership, relationship, marriage, child, come out. Come out. And the dead man came out. I love it how there's no, there's no pause. When Jesus speaks, we always see. Come out. And his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. All right, for the, first, for the last few minutes, I want to talk around what's happening here to this person named Lazarus. Jesus says to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Some translations say, untie him or loose him. All right, here's the picture. They thought it was over, but delay was not denial. Their timing was just a little bit out. Then Jesus allows their disappointments to become a door of access into their lives, which he leads them into things they never dreamt of seeing. And then he says, roll away the stone. The miracle takes place. He calls Lazarus out, but 
Lazarus comes out still wearing the traditional cloth. There were two cloths. There was the linen that wrapped the body, and then there was a cloth that wrapped the head. They called this the sweat cloth. It was symbolic of a life leaving, the, the stress, the torment of life. It was symbolic of this becoming drawn out so that the spirit would be released in freedom. This was, and he walks out with these two cloths on. Can I make a statement that might help someone in the room today? It is possible for you to come walking out the grave, but never live under grace. It is possible for you to say yes to Jesus, yes to his world, yes to his life, yes to his power, but never experience the joy of his freedom. And yet that's what he wants. So what does he say? Take the second part off. Oh yeah, they, they're in church and they said yes and They've invited me into their hearts, but I want them to take the stuff off that binds them. I want them to unwrap the traditions of humanity that hold them down from experience the joy of God's grace. Untie, loosen, take it off. But there's another time we read about the linen cloth. And that's in the story of Jesus in the tomb. This is so powerful. Link Church, I know you're quiet, but I believe God is moving in this place right now. There's another time that there is this cloth and linen. And it's in John chapter 20, we read about it. It says, and he's stooping down. This is now Peter going into the grave, the tombstone of Jesus. He saw the linen cloths lying there. You see Jesus and Lazarus, same tradition, same, same process. Jesus died, wrap him up. Linen cloth around the body, sweat cloth on the forehead. Same traditions, it's nothing unusual, but different outcome, watch this. Then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief or the sweat cloth that had been around his head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded together in a place all by itself. What's going on here? You see in the story of Lazarus, Lazarus comes out still wearing the sweat cloth, the burden of life. He's alive, but he's carrying unnecessary weights. He's carrying unnecessary baggage, unnecessary burdens, unnecessary pressures and stress. Why is it still on him? Because you see, it hadn't been paid for yet. There's a price tag to removing the burden and the discontent and the unrest in the human soul. There's a price tag. Calvary paid the, paid the price, which is why when they got to the tombstone of Jesus, there was no Jesus, and the cloth had been beautifully folded up and put to the side. Why was the linen that was around his body just there, but the napkin or the handkerchief or the sweat cloth, why was it beautifully folded up and put to the side? I'll tell you why. Because he was drawing attention to this, because this cloth said so much more than we realize. This cloth said, the thing that burdens you, the thing that stresses you, the occupation of your mind for thoughts that are unhelpful for you, I've taken it and I've paid a price for it and I've taken it off you and I've folded it up neatly and I've left it in the grave of Calvary. I'm drawing attention to the finished work. You see, Lazarus came out breathing, but he was still burdened. With Jesus, it was different. Jesus came out breathing and he left the burden in the grave. Friends, when you serve a God of our Savior Jesus Christ, and you give Him your life, friends. You don't just walk out the grave. You walk out in grace. And silence does not hold us anymore. Oh, yeah, another thing about the folded cloth. When the master would fold a napkin and leave it on the table, it was a sign that he was coming again. Some of you are wondering if God's going to arrive back. He's coming again. 
He's paid for that burden you fought in 2012. He's paid for the burden you fought in 2014. He's paid for the burden you're fighting right now as we speak. And I promise you, friends, he's coming again. The napkin's folded. The story is over. The gospel is complete. The finished work of Christ is done. It's called the finished work of Christ because there is nothing left to pay for in your life. It's all been taken care of. Would you believe it this morning? Stand with me. I want to pray for us.